Some of you might not know this, uh, but this week, this week in the life of, of Jesus' followers, in the life of the church, this week is called Holy Week. And it's during this week that actually began yesterday that we set, a time, we set aside time and we re-enter the story of Jesus. So this week, this coming Thursday, this coming Thursday, remember that during his last week of life, Jesus gathered with his friends, his disciples on Thursday, and he celebrated the Passover celebration, this ancient Jewish celebration that's reminder of God's protection. And it was, it was on that Thursday that Jesus took a cup of wine and he declared that this represented his blood. And then he took a loaf of bread and he told his friends that the bread represented his body and that every time they ate the bread and every time they drank from the cup that they were to stop and to be reminded, to remember. It was, it was that Thursday that, that this ancient ritual of, of communion, sometimes called the Lord's Supper or, or Mass, it was on that Thursday that this was created. And then Friday... Friday is the day that 2,000 years ago on Friday, Jesus hung on a cross paying the ransom, the price, the price, the, the, the sacrifice for the sin of the world, dying for every wrong, every bit of evil, dying for all of our sin, all of it. And then, next Sunday, this coming Sunday, is Easter, Resurrection Sunday, it's the day when Jesus showed us that death isn't the end. He showed us that death and sin and evil, that they don't have the last word because resurrection has the last word. This is the ultimate hope this coming Sunday. And so this week, this week that we've entered, this holy week, it started yesterday and it goes all the way through next Sunday, resurrection Sunday. Now what I want to do this morning is I want to offer a few thoughts on the start of this week and perhaps some things that we can learn from it, the, uh, this thing that happened yesterday, Palm Sunday. So, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter nineteen. Luke, chapter nineteen. I'm going to start at verse twenty-eight. Luke, chapter nineteen, starting at verse twenty-eight, says this: it "says After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem." As he, approached, as he approached Bethphage in Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. All right, time out. Let's just stop there and acknowledge how messed up and weird that is. Like what we just read was Jesus telling two disciples, hey, go into the city, find a colt that's tied up and it's just sitting there and just take it. And if anyone asks you why, just say the Lord needs it. Like this is not the colt you're looking for. Like that's craziness. Let's keep going. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? Like, yo, that's mine. They replied, the Lord needs it. Oh. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Okay, so to understand why this little story about Jesus and some palm branches is such a big deal, you need a little background. So I want you to imagine with me, imagine if Canada conquered America. Imagine if the Canadians said, we've had enough, and they came south on horses. And imagine if we found out that all of those years, that the reason why it was so quiet up there is because the Canadians had been planning. And what if the Canadians came and they captured us? And they forced us to watch hockey and eat maple syrup. Some of you are like, when, when's this happening? Like, Sounds awesome. Imagine, imagine if we were conquered by Canada. And imagine if the Canadians in conquering us, imagine if they had a bit of an issue. Because, because they had soldiers everywhere. And especially if we were gathered like this in like a large public gathering, they would get nervous. Because maybe we're planning a rebellion against them. So like right outside the doors right now, there will be like people on horses. And they would say things like, I hope we don't have to worry about anything from you. That was such a good, that was a Canada, it was so good. And what if, are there any Canadians in here that I'm like deeply offending? Okay, good. What if they had to pay for this army that was occupying the United States? And so they said, well, We'll just tax the Americans. So imagine if you had the percentage of your income that's being taxed now by the American government, and then on top of that, you were taxed that much or more by the Canadian government. I mean, if that was the case, how many people would be in serious financial trouble really quickly? Yeah, a lot of people. This is first century Israel. This is the time when Jesus lived. They, those people had been conquered by the Roman Empire, this giant global military superpower. And so there were Roman soldiers everywhere in Israel. Now, this is a bit of a problem. Because if you're in this crowd, and you're a good God-fearing Jew, you believe that you were God's people. You have this tradition that went all the way back to this guy named Abraham, who had many sons and many sons, you know it. So, so you have this story that you've been raised in. If you're a Jewish person, there's a story that you've been raised in, and it's a story of blessing. That God has blessed you so that you would turn around and bless the world around you. Because the one true God who made everything wants everyone to know the love of God. And so as a good Jew, You've been specially chosen to spread this message of a loving God, a just God, a God of peace. But you have a problem because you've been conquered by a foreign army. This army who's taxing you to the point where you're in financial trouble. And the problem is, is that the Roman government, they don't even believe in your God. In fact, they have a whole other set of gods that they believe in. So imagine. Imagine if you're supposed to be God's people. 
Imagine if you're supposed to be God's people who are called to bless the world and you're this small minority of people and you're being oppressed. You're being, you're being taxed to the max. There's Roman soldiers everywhere. Like they run the show. So there was this belief. There was this belief among the Jewish people. It was in their ancient writings. It was in their scriptures. This belief that someday, Someday a Messiah, a Savior was going to come. And he was going to rescue the Jews from bondage and slavery of this Roman army, this Roman superpower. And so for the Jews, they had this particular way in which they expected their Savior, their Messiah, to come on the scene. They expected expected their Messiah to come on the scene like a brave, valiant king riding into Jerusalem on a white stallion, and this king was going to kick some Roman butt. He was going to wipe the floor with the Roman army. He was going to reclaim the rightful throne. He was going to restore the Jewish people to where they were supposed to be. He was going to put them back in control. That was what they thought. That was their way. They wanted it their way. Now, This understanding of of wanting it your way, this isn't new to us. Some of you might remember the old Burger King motto, right? Have it your way. Who remembers that? Are you old enough to remember that? Were any of you alive in 1999? That's not enough hands. So in 1999, there was a little ditty um, written by a, a band called the Backstreet Boys. They, they wrote a little song. So, You'll, maybe maybe this will help jog your memory. So, do you recognize any of these men? I was hiding in the bathroom stall, so I didn't see his face, but I heard him. He was singing along to the music at the bar. Do you remember what he was singing? I think it was that song, I Want It That Way. Backstreet Boys, I'm familiar. Okay. Number one, could you please sing the opening to I Want It That Way? Really? Okay. You are... My fire. Number two, keep it going. The one desire. Number three, believe when I say. Number four, I want it that way. Tell me why. Ain't nothing but a heartache. Tell me why. Ain't nothing but a mistake. Now number five. chills. It was number five. Number five killed my brother. Oh my god, I forgot about that part. We, we, we know, we have this understanding, we know, like we understand this mentality of I want it my way, or have it your way. And that's exactly what was going on for these Jewish people. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, he enters and they have expectations for Jesus. They, they, had, they wanted things to happen their way, their plan. They expected it to happen. They expected him to ride in and own the day. And so he rides in, not on a stallion, but on a donkey. And these people are shouting words like Hosanna, which 
which literally means save us. These people who are shouting, they believe that it had begun. They believe that their Messiah was coming to return them to power. Finally, the day had come. Jesus was, in fact, a king, but he wasn't going to do things their way. He was going to do things God's way. And God's way is about serving, not ruling over. It's about humility, not power. It's about being born in a stable, a manger, and being wrapped in rags, not with trumpets blowing and a king being born in a palace. God's way was a king who would ride in on a donkey, not a stallion, because God's way is always an upside-down kind of way to the world, to these people. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, as they yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us now. They thought that their king had come. But again, the problem was that they expected to have it their way. They expected things to unfold as they had envisioned, envisioned them. With this, with this large military conquest. But that didn't happen because that's never, ever God's way. And so these same people, these very same people who on Sunday laid down palm branches and worshipped Jesus as a king, these same people by Friday, five days later, turned into an angry mob and yelled, crucify him. Why? Because they wanted it their way and it didn't happen. Now, this idea of people wanting things their way, it's not new. In fact, this goes all the way back to the very first man and the first woman. God creates this man and this woman and He puts them in the middle of this creation. And He says that it is good. And He even lets them run around naked for a little bit and they say it is good. But this man and this woman become dissatisfied with all they've been given. They want it their way. So they decide to live and act outside the way God had created them, had commanded them. And when they did this, sin enters the picture. We have a long history as human beings of wanting things our way. We don't, want, we don't like when anyone tells us what to do. We don't want to be told we're wrong. We don't want to hear that there's a better way unless the better way was our idea in the first place. We are experts at wanting things our way. In fact, I would go so far as to say that we create completely different versions of ourselves just to ensure that we have things our way. We, we create completely different versions of ourselves make sure that we have things our way. It's been a really fascinating thing for me, even like just in my short time here as your campus pastor, I've watched this. I've observed it as I've interacted with you. I've witnessed what I would call splintered identities. And what I mean is that for many of you, you change yourself to fit your environment. So, there's like 
Like there's the chapel church version of you. This is the version right now that's giving me eye contact. And you sit up straight and you pretend like you're not on your phone. Or, or it's like it's the you that knows how to say all of the right Jesus answers at the right time. And then for some of you, there's a completely different version of you that comes out when you're on the field or the court or the mat, when you're with your coach. And then there's an entirely different version of you from that that you present to your professors. There's the classroom version of you. And then there's the version that comes out when you're with your friends or when you're living in the dorms. And what's fun, what's fun is when, when some of these worlds collide. Like when you're around your friends and the new campus pastor shows up and, and he hears all kinds of words that your chapel church stuff does, itself doesn't use. And you, you, like, you have, you're like, ooh. When I was a youth pastor, uh, one of the things that I did every year was I chaperoned the homecoming dance. <laughs> that's, a, that's an exercise in watching splintered identities when they're like, it's really awkward to grind on my boyfriend or girlfriend when my youth pastor is standing right there. Like, they don't know what to do with that. Splintered identities. For many of you, there are all these different versions of you. And it's like you're a chameleon. You do whatever it takes to have it your way all the time. And let's not forget that in addition, in addition to the ones I've already talked about, there's also the home version of you. But the you that your family knows, like, like maybe, maybe you've made some choices here at Central. Perhaps you decided to give this Jesus thing a whirl but that's not really how your family rolls. So there are these two different versions of you that you're trying to maintain. And when I'm with at home, I act this way, but when I'm at Central, I act this way. Or it's reversed. Maybe it's like, oh, your parents have this version of you. Your family has this version of you. They're like, oh, my little girl would never do anything like that. Oh, you're my little guy. Different versions. We want it our way. And so we go to great lengths to create these. And in this list of different selves, we can't forget the version of ourselves that we put forth online. The social media version. The TikTok version. The Instagram version. The person who would never say and post the things they say and post if they were in front of those people in real life. And the craziest part of all of this is that for some of us, as exhausting as this seems to say it out loud, we try to maintain all of these different versions of who we are. And we don't see a problem with it. You really believe that this is supposed to be life, this giant balancing act of making sure you're keeping all of these versions of yourself going. Now, when people decide, when they make the decision to trust Jesus, when they want to become a Christian, Jesus himself actually gives us some warnings. And he uses this phrase, and he says, before you follow me, count the cost. Count the cost. You need to decide. Because when you say yes to me, Jesus says, when you say yes to me, you're saying yes to both me as Savior and Lord. Now when you say yes to Jesus as your Savior, 
what that is, is that means that you understand and believe that Jesus died on a cross for the sin of the world, and that includes your sin. That Jesus paid the penalty, the cost for your sin, that where there's sin, there has to be death. And so Jesus died to save you from sin. Jesus is your Savior. But Jesus also demands that we follow Him as Lord, and you can't split up the two. Lord means like ruler or master. Think of like Lord of the Rings, if that helps you. To follow Jesus as our Lord means that we give Him control of all areas of our life. We submit all versions of ourselves to Him. We give Him our church self and our online self. Our classroom self and the version that we bring to the field or the court or the mat. Jesus wants all of us. He wants every version of you that you have created. What He wants is to take them all and to bring them into one, one person who is following Jesus with everything they have. We want it our way. We want to say, okay, God, I'll give you this one, this one, and this one, but I'm holding on to this one. I'll follow Jesus at church, but God, we have to have a conversation about what it means to follow you on the court or on the field. Okay, Jesus, I'll follow you with my family, but look, God, if, if I follow you with my friends, like they're just... They're not going to get it. They're going to make fun of me. I'm going to be that kid. You can't just love Jesus in one area and not all of the areas. You can't just love Jesus on Sunday or at chapel and then forget about Him the rest of the week. If Jesus isn't the Lord or the master of your Instagram and your TikTok page, if He isn't the Lord in the dorm or when you're with your friends, if He isn't the Lord in the classroom or on the field, then He isn't the Lord anywhere else. And you're going to come to a day when you stand before Him and you're going to say, but Jesus, I followed you here and here and here. And He's going to say, I wanted all of it. You didn't give me all of it, and so I don't know you. It's all or nothing. All or nothing. So approximately 2,000 years ago this week, we remember Jesus entering Jerusalem headed toward the cross. For us here today, now, we have to wrestle with the same question that people wrestled with 2,000 years ago. As they waved palm branches, as they yelled Hosanna, they had it wrong. They wanted it their way. But God's way is different. And ultimately, God's way is better. God's way defeats death and saves the world. And so again, you have to ask yourself, am I living life my way? Am I living life my way or God's way? Am I trying to live different versions of myself being different things to different people? Or am I allowing Jesus to have all of my life? Am I putting my hope in Jesus, in all of these ways. What's God calling you to this morning? Would you pray with me?
God, I pray that you would speak. I pray that it wouldn't be in big, flashy ways, but in the quietness of our own spirits, in the quietness of our own hearts, that you would speak to us. God, the dangerous thing is for any of us in this room to feel like we are we are not who this word is for. Because God, we all miss the mark. We all create different versions of ourselves. We all put on a front. We all put on a mask. We all want to be thought of as the best possible version in, the, in these ways. God, we confess that that is true for every single one of us in this room. So God, we pray for forgiveness. God, I pray that you would move in this student body, that you would speak in the depths of their spirits, the depths of their hearts. God, I pray that there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would come to have a relationship with you. I pray that you would change lives in this room. Help us to be people who give you all versions of ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.